Hey, uh, keep your Bibles open there to Philippians 1. We're going to walk through this passage together. Uh, as we get going, I want you to be thinking about some, a common phrase that we hear um, in times of loss, and it's probably one that we, we say a lot, and I want to think about and go a little bit deeper today. And, and you, I know you all heard this, and, and perhaps probably all said it. Um, and when someone has, has gone from, from this life to the next, um, a lot of times what we know to say to the person who is mourning their loss is that they are in a better place. Right? We've, we've all said something like that, that, that they're in a better place. And, and that's become uh, kind of so common, and so um, it, it's, it's kind of a saying that we, we're used to saying. But I, but I think when we kind of enter into that and, and feel that and, and think about that, I want, you, I want to ask ourselves, do we really, do we really mean that? Do we really believe that? Because I think most of the time there's this, there's this tension, there's this, con- that's, there's this posture and tone that comes across when we say something like that that almost presents it as a consolation prize, right? Like, like yes, we, we, we really think that it would be better if they stayed here, right? But, okay, they're not, and we can't help that, so we know that they're in a better place. And we kind of say it with this tone of, of well, you know, what, what they would have wanted and what we would have was that they would stay here, but we know they're in a better place. And we kind of have that, that tone about it. Do we really believe that, um, they're in a better place. And, and Paul says, do we really believe that it, it seems like gain? And, and I want you to maybe put it this way and think about it this way. Um, would any of us actually choose or long to actually go ahead and meet Jesus if we were given that choice? And that's the, that's the tension that Paul is going to address today and, and really lay out this, this bold statement that uh, packs a huge punch. Even though we're kind of familiar with the, the verse, to live as Christ but to die as gain, I want us to dive in and actually think about that and, and, and let that... Um, matter to us in a, in a weighty and a heavy way and inform not only how we look toward our death, but how do we live in the meantime. Um, and the good news is that Paul is going to, to speak very practically and very, um, very inspiringly, but very real ways about how do we live in light of our impending death. We know that, like, that this is where we're headed, right? Like we know that this is the ultimate statistic, like that, that 10 out of 10 of us will indeed die. And so as we look to that day, as we think about what lies ahead, as we think about what our faith has to do with not only that day, but what, okay, what happens on that day? How does that inform how we live these days? Uh, Paul is uh, going to share with us some very practical and very, very powerful words. But before we read Paul's words, I want to remind us of who Paul is, because this is not just some ethereal, you know, like mythical author. Like this is a real man um, writing these words, and he was a man that uh, was actually had a different name, right? His name was Saul, and he was a really, really, really religious guy, right? Like he was really, really into his self-righteousness and his religion. He was really uh, quickly rising in the religious ranks as a, as a leader, and um, so much so that whenever Christianity became a thing, like when people started following Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, Paul adamantly opposed it, thinking that it was blasphemous to the real religion, and Therefore, opposed it to the point, like trying to stop it to the point that he would actually kill Christians who would not shut up about Jesus. That's this, this man. That was his life before. But then something happened. Something happened that radically changed him. And what happened was he met the resurrected Jesus. Jesus himself confronted Paul. And after that, actually confronted Saul, and after that he became Paul. And this man took all of that zeal that he had been pouring into opposing the church, 
and he became even more a fierce component of the gospel in advancing it. He became a church planning machine. The, the, the man that, as I said, at the, as we started this series in Philippians, in, in many ways, it's, it's him and his example that brought the gospel to the shores of America, that, that brought the gospel to us today, is, is a man like this being sent out by the church in Antioch and saying, yes, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll take Jesus's commission seriously to go beyond our walls, beyond our city, beyond our area, and into the nations where people have not heard of Jesus. Paul says, I will go and I will take the gospel there. And this is what this man does. And, and this type of life leads to Paul experiencing much of the same persecution that he was once responsible for. That as he d goes and lives this, this missional, church planning, uh, four missions life, it ends up with Paul uh, experiencing the persecution that he was once responsible for with others. Paul is imprisoned multiple times. Paul is beaten multiple times. Paul is shipwrecked. Paul is, uh, he, he loses his friends. He loses his um, you know, religious status, all of it is gone. And so Paul it, it speaks from this tone. And, and really, he's, he, he's actually, like, so this is real life for him. This is not some guy writing this from an ivory tower saying this is how you should live. But really, he's never, no, this guy has been there, done that. And we talked about last week how he has experienced suffering. And what he knows in Jesus has empowered him to look at suffering, to live out suffering in a totally different and redemptive way. And so... Today, he's going to talk a step further. He's going to talk about how not only does what he knows about Jesus empower him to suffer well, but actually empowers him to face death well. To face death with not fear, but actually eager expectation. So Paul is writing, even this letter, as he writes back to his friends in the church of Philippi, he's writing uh, from prison. So th there's this man in a jail cell, writing this letter to these beloved people that are concerned about him, worried about him. Uh, actually, like, so this is real life. This man is in prison. This is their pastor. This is the guy that started their church. They love him. They, they're, they're concerned about him. They're worried about him. And Paul is able to tell them, listen, hey, take heart. Rejoice because what's happened to me, me getting locked up, it's actually served to advance the gospel. And so I will rejoice. And then that's where we're going to pick up in verse 19. And, and he says, even further than that, I'm going to rejoice not only in my suffering, but he says, listen, I don't know if I get out of this. I don't know. Like, this is not just a two-year, you know, sentence he's going to get out with some, like, he doesn't know if they're going to release him. There wasn't this, uh, the same kind of court process where he's going to be, you know, due process and get a, a trial of his peer. Like, no, they can just make a decision to do whatever they wish with this man. And um, so he doesn't know. He doesn't know how this is going to end. He doesn't know if they're going to release him or if he's going to die at the hands of Roman executioners. And, and so here's this, this man writing with that reality in mind, and yet he's saying, okay, yes, my imprisonment, it's, it's served to advance the gospel, and more people are learning about Jesus because of it, and the church, the people around me are emboldened to keep preaching Jesus, so they're encouraged, and I'm growing in Jesus. We talked about that last week because of this, and he says, and, and now he's going to go even further beyond that. He says, and you know what, if I don't get out of this, I'm going to rejoice anyway. So that's where we pick up, really, verse 19. It starts in a weird place because they, they split off 18. Um, and I say they because Paul did not put verse numbers and chapters in his writings. You understand that? So uh, this was a letter written. Um, and many, many, many years later, after the, the Bible is put together into the group of books, um, letters, and writings that we have, uh, other people 
broke these down into chapters and verses to really give us addresses, kind of, to know where to find what verses. And so Paul did not uh, write verse 18, get halfway through it, and then, or, or, you know, and then start in this weird spot. So you've got to kind of zoom out, take those verse numbers out, and, and realize we're actually going to start. He, he talks about his suffering. He says, man, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice in 18. And he says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know, verse 19, that, th- that through your prayers... In the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So what he's saying is, I know however this ends, because you're praying for me, because the Spirit is with me, I know that this is going to turn out my deliverance. Either I'm going to get released, right, and I'll actually be free, or they will set, if they kill me, they will set me free, and I will be delivered fully and completely. He's going to talk more about that. Either way, though, he says it's going to turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed. I want you to think about this moment for you. I want you to put yourself in that jail cell. I want you to put yourself in the impending day. I, like, we, we, this is not like an ancient thing. If you were with us, we watched the story. If you've read the book, The Insanity of God, like, this is a, this is a real thing in many cur- countries around the world where Christians are persecuted. And, and even today where they're said, listen, if you don't renounce your faith, you will be executed. You don't want to be executed? All you got to do is say, Jesus isn't Lord. And that's a real thing that our brothers and sisters throughout different parts of the world experience today. And, and this is what Paul is experiencing. He knows if he just stops preaching Jesus, they'll leave him alone. But Paul is making this decision. And what he's saying is, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying, it is my great expectation that I'll have courage. Either way, that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by, le- whether by life or by death. What we're talking about, like all of this is anchored in knowing that our bigger purpose in life, it, life is not just about us. Our story is not zoomed in on us. Life is about God and his grand story, and we're playing a small part in that. And Paul knows that. And so what he's saying is, however my life shapes out, like however this goes, my hope is that Jesus is honored in my story. So whether they kill me, whether they release me, I hope that Jesus is made much of, whether by, uh, honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this, this famous verse, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a bold statement, right? I think one that is probably overprinted on Christian products and we're just kind of used to hearing, but I want, I want us to feel the weight of this today. And what Paul is saying is, is it, listen, if I get to keep living, that's great because I'm going to get more of Jesus, right? I'm going to share his gospel with more people. I'm going to experience him meeting me in my weakness, as we talked about last week. And I'm going to be rejoicing in his work and fellowshipping with Jesus as, as, he, as Paul suffers. He says, I know, like if he stays here, like it's not like he gets his clean sentence and gets to go retire. Like Paul's going to get out of this prison and go right back to preaching Jesus and get beat some more and imprisoned some more and shipwrecked some more. Like He's not saying, man, I've done my deal, and if I get out of this, I get to go retire. Like, he's saying, no, if I live, it's Jesus. It's more of Jesus. I'm going to preach Jesus. People are going to believe in Jesus, and I'm going to rejoice, and and I'm going to keep building up my treasure in heaven because whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, it's Jesus. And so Paul says, if he lets me live, Jesus. And and we're actually going to talk more about that. The rest of the book is really going to flesh out what that looks like to live as Christ. What Paul is saying is, any moment I get to live, now, knowing this truth about Jesus has changed Paul's entire 
life. It's no longer about what he can get, what he can gain. He says, I consider it all rubbish, all loss, dung. Crap is really what, how that translates. He said, I consider everything I had, everything I could get, everything this world has to offer, it's all lost for Christ. I just want Jesus. And so that's the posture that he's taking as he looks ahead toward this life and whatever it may bring. So he says, and so that's what really what the rest of the book is going to flesh out, what it looks like to live as Christ. So I want us to talk at, at length today about the portion where he says to die is gain. Pick back up in, in verse 22 through 23. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, which he said, that'll mean fruitful labor, fruitful labor for me. He knows. And that doesn't mean, he's not saying, I'm going to plant more churches and they're going to grow. He goes, he knows that whatever the result is, as he does the Lord's work, that's fruitful labor. You need to know, like, you may not, you know, see your friends or family come to actually receive Jesus, but if you're loving Jesus, following Jesus, speaking the gospel truth, that is fruitful labor because he will get glory from that one way or the other. One way or another, he, he will get glory from that. And it's not about Paul's efforts. Like Paul does the, the, the planting, the watering, the sowing, all of those things, but God is the one who's going to give the increase. So he says, listen, I'm going to keep serving Jesus and that's going to be fruitful labor for me. Yet, so he's, if I'm going to live fruitful labor, that means Things are going to go, you know, I'm going to keep serving Jesus. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So this is the tension for this man. This is, Paul is not just standing in the, in the wind, as one pastor said, with his Superman cape blowing and, and just saying, bring it. Like, there is a tension, and there's a very real angst and, and, and yearning in this man. He says, I, I don't know how this is going to go. Listen, even Jesus, in the moment, like, facing the cross, we see him in tears that turn into the sweat that turns into blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleading with his father, saying, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to experience that. If there's any other way, let's do that. But Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Paul's saying, listen, I don't know what I'm going to choose. I don't know if I'm going to end up getting released and doing more church, you know, mission work, or if I'm going to die. Like, there's this angst within him. I, I don't know which way I'm going to choose. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, listen to this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Don't you hear that? Don't you think about what he's saying there? What I actually want, not to get out of jail, not to go. He says, what I, what I really want, what my flesh wants. Listen, this is, this is not how I am. Like, I am not to the same place that Paul is, if I'm being really honest with you. Like, I have things I want to do in this life. Like, I, I want to see my little girl's grow up, right? Like, I want to continue to enjoy the things of this life. Like, I'm not done yet, right, in my mind. And so, what, what I, what, the way I look at life is like, okay, if he, like, if he takes me out, I know that's going to be good. I know that I'm going to be with Jesus, and, and I can rejoice in that. But I, if I get to choose, I'm going to stay here, right? Because I, I kind of, I'm not done. But Paul is saying, listen, my, what my selfish desire is, I'd rather, I'd rather peace out on this, right? I, I'm done <laughs> With the shipwrecks and the jail and the beating and like that's my that's his flesh talking. I'd, I'd rather be done with this. I'm gonna be with Jesus in a heartbeat, he says. But there's this tension because he knows that God is using him mightily. He knows that he has a purpose. But what he's saying is that his fleshly desire is to depart 
because it would be not just better, not okay, not just a relief, not just done with the suffering, not just whatever, but better, far better, he says. What Paul is saying in this moment is that the best is yet to come. Like, not in ethereal, like, okay, it's going to be good. And streets, like, no, literally what, he's, what you're longing for, what, what life is meant to, like, it, the best is on the other side of this. This is not like, get all you can out of this, and then, okay, you know, that's over, and now you get this, you know, you get to kind of enjoy this this consolation prize of heaven. Like, I know it's not what you really wanted, but here's this, and, and hopefully you're content with it. Paul's saying, no, 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 the best is literally ahead of us. It is yet to come. Heaven is not this consolation prize. Like, okay, you know, let, let that kind of pacify you now that w- the real life is over. Like, I don't mean to make light of the reality of death. Like, the, the pain is real, and, and the consequences of sin are felt at their deepest whenever we have to say goodbye to those that we love. And as we are, are left without them, we mourn our loss. Okay? We mourn our loss in those moments. But for those that know Jesus as Savior, we don't speak in terms of, of disappointment for them, right? Even if they die young, even if it hurts us, if they know Jesus, it is absolutely their gain. Absolutely their gain. Listen, you mean to say, like, even if they didn't get to see their kids grow up, even if they didn't get to get married or fulfill their dreams, fill in the blank, whatever it is, I, I would say yes. Like they will arrive in heaven like without any disappointments, without any like wishing that God would have just waited another few. I remember feeling this myself uh, when I was engaged to Riley and we were getting really close to the wedding and I was really excited about certain aspects of marriage, right, that I'd been waiting for, uh, particularly that night, Okay. I'm uh, really, really excited. I've been waiting like forever for this. Like, like, and so I'm so eager and, and I'm so looking forward to this. And I had this moment like in those weeks leading up, like, what if Jesus comes back like right before my wedding? I'm going to be a little miffed. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh, that's awesome. Can you come back tomorrow? Like, can I just like, oh. you know, like I had this tension of like, oh, yeah, that would be good. I know I should be really excited about that, but dang it, you know, but, but here's the deal. We're not going to feel any of that when we experience. It's not less than anything, right? Like, it would not have mattered. Heaven is not less than anything on this earth. Paul says it is far better. I think part of the problem is that we have, we have this weird view of heaven. Right? Like, we think about heaven, and we think about, like, clouds and chubby babies and weird stuff, right? They're like, well, the streets of gold, I don't know how that, I get wings, I don't know, like, we, we kind of have this weird, like, it's just something totally different. Like, we enjoy earth, and we have these things that we enjoy, and, and now, okay, like, we, we got we to gotta give those up or, or whatever, now we get heaven, and it's, some, it's not something totally different. That, that is not what we are looking forward to. That's not what Paul is speaking of that will be far better. The, the, the reality is, the reason that it is far better is because heaven it's going to be the culmination of every, every love, every joy, every pleasure that we have known here on this earth. It's not going to be less than. It will be greater than in every way. All of this that we know and we love, it's, it's not only God's idea, like all of this, your relationships, the, the, the beauty uh, that is around this world, like the, the pleasure that you enjoy when you eat a good meal, when you drink a good drink, when you laugh at a good story with your friends, when you share love and intimacy with your family, like all of those things that we experience, not only are they God's idea, 
right? And he's a creator and giver of those things, but they're actually a foretaste of the, the best thing. Like he gives us those things because they point us to, they give us little glimpses, small portions of what we're actually made to experience, and that, that, is, that is him. Like when we see him, when we are in that moment, we're like all that we have longed for in every way, we will not be disappointed and wishing, oh, well, life was really good, but if I had just got to do that, no, it will be fully realized, no disappointments, not less than, actually far greater than anything that we could ever experience. I know a lot of people struggle with knowing that there won't be marriage in heaven, at least not in the way that we know it, right? Like, we recognize our spouse, yes, but, but marriage, not in the way that we know it. And, and the thing that we need to realize is that even that, it, it, like, I, I understand there's a tension there, but it is not less than. We're not going to be disappointed, like, oh, I really wish I'd have. Like, no, the reason we won't be married is because it will actually be far better, right? It, it's not less than, it's greater in every way. And so the reason we won't have that sort of marriage is because marriage is meant to be a foretaste, a, a, an allegory for us to look at our relationship with God, the way that he loves us, the intimacy, the oneness that we have. And when we get to heaven, we'll have that in full. And so we'll share that with one another. We'll share that fullness in God, and we won't, like, we won't even think about it. Like, we won't, we won't think about, ah, oh, I really wish. No, like, it will be fully realized in every way we will experience all that our heart has ever longed for in its purest and most rich form. Now, here's the deal. All of this, it's not about the streets of gold. It's not about the relationships. It's not about the good food, the greener greens, the brighter reds. All of those things are true. Like, we, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has for store in store for us in heaven. Like when he, and here's the thing, it, what you need to understand is, and, and there's this tension, I can't unpack all this theology right now. We die right now to, to be uh, gone from this earth, is to be present with the Lord, but we know that one day he's going to come back and, and he's going to restore this world. Like heaven is going to come down and he's going to wipe away all impurity, put all injustice to rest, and he's going to make things right. So heaven is actually going to be a fuller realization of what this creation was supposed to be. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So that means it will be physical. It will be actual, tangible heaven. And the things that we know and love will actually be, like, turned up. The, the things we know, the things we love, the, the pleasures we, we, like, all of that's going to be turned up and we'll, as we experience it fully in heaven. But all of it's not about, like, the, the joy, the, the richness, the, the reason that heaven is far better than on this earth is because it's not, it's not just about the physical features. Those, those will be awesome. The reason that heaven is far better, the reason that Paul says it would be gain for me to die is because God's there. The reason that heaven is awesome is because God's there. Like, we're not even going to be that impressed with the streets of gold. Like, it's God's presence that is going to be overwhelming to us. So you need to think about that. Like, are you in this thing? Are you following Jesus because you want what God offers, or do you want God? Like, he is the gift of the gospel. These other things are almost periphery. Like, he is the actual gift that he offers us. I, I remember looking at it this way. I remember at a previous church that I was at, they were kind of having some of the worship wars. Anybody have been in a church where they're battling, debating, fussing over what type of song and what type of instruments and, you know, how we should worship, right, in, in music? And some of you can relate, and uh, you're getting PTSD just thinking about it, right? And memories of bad business meetings and all of those things. And, and I remember one leader in a church that I was at previously saying something, like, and, 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 and he meant well, but he said something like, guys, we're going to be singing for eternity when we get to heaven. Like, we need to figure this thing out. And I just thought, man, like, 
no, bro. Like, it ain't going to be like, figure it out. Like, man, I really got to get good at worship. I really got to learn. No, 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 no. You need to understand. You see Jesus face to face. You behold the glory of God. You have no options. You worship, period. You hit your face and you worship. That is it. It's not figuring it out. It's like, oh, if I feel like it. No, no, no. You worship, period. Angels show up in heaven in, in, throughout Scripture and throughout the story. They've just been near God. And their presence is so overwhelming that everybody that sees them says, don't kill me. And they bow down and worship. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. They've just been in his presence. When we get to that point, everything else fades away. He is not just the creator of all the things that we enjoy and know and love. He is the culmination of all of those things. We will drink in full of all that we've ever desired when we behold our God. That is why heaven is far better. That is why Paul can say what he says in this moment. Here's the deal. Knowing this and what awaits us after we die empowers us to live radically while we're alive, while we're, while we're still here. Let's read uh, verses 24 through 30 as Paul continues. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's talking to the church. He says, it'd be better if I stayed for you because we can continue growing and continue uh, reaching more people and teaching you more and more about the depth and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, it's just this endless treasure that we can't get enough of. But he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, listen, I really believe God's actually going to get me out of this prison because we got more work to do. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Paul says, I'm, I'm going to see you again. I believe it. I know that this is how it's going to end up. And, but you need to know, even if it doesn't, it's all good because I'm going to get Jesus. So don't mourn for me, but I really believe he's going to release me and I'm going to get to see you again. Verse 27, here's what he says. Now, what does it mean for you, church? What, 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 he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And you understand, it's not just Paul that the world hates. These people keep following Jesus, they're going to end up in jail too. No, this is the encouragement that he's giving them, that you won't be afraid of the things that are going to come against you. Not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, listen, the, the Christian life, he's, he just want to remind them, hey, it's not about your best life now. It's not about prosperity in this moment. It's not about follow Jesus and he'll make everything easy for you. It's not about follow Jesus, he'll make you rich, make you healthy. No, no, no. He says, follow Jesus and your best life comes later. That you will, you will get the fulfillment for eternity of all that you've ever longed for. That, that the best is yet to come. Paul is reminding them of that. He's saying, listen, 
I'm, I'm hopeful that this truth of what we get on the other side of death will inform how you live now because you're going to keep getting persecuted. You're going to keep suffering. But just know, just know, as he wrote in another book, that none of this, my light and momentary troubles, Paul says, none of it. And listen, they're not, Paul, what Paul went through is not light and momentary in anybody else's book. The, the dude suffered, but he says none of it adds up or we can even compare to the glory that awaits me in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can't even compare. He says, you need to meditate, think about, know in your soul what awaits for you when you breathe your last breath. Whether it's taken from you prematurely or you live a long life and you, and you give it up in a, in a peaceful last breath. Like Either way, when you take your last breath, knowing what awaits for you on the other side of that, he says, listen, it's going to give you courage to live in the moment. It's going to give you courage to bring glory to Christ as you live. Th to live as Christ, to die as gain, that's not just a mantra for Paul. Paul's saying, listen, all of you, that applies to all of you. When you live, like you get to live for Christ, and you get to get more and more of Christ. And so what he's, what he's encouraging them is he says, live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is if this is true, what we believe is true, that we don't earn our way to heaven, but Jesus earned it for us and gives it freely. And that that's not just some, okay, we, we, we get to get out of the suffering, but it's actually the culmination of all the longings of our heart and our soul. And it's, it's glory and pleasure and, and joy forever and ever. If that's true, Jesus has bought that for you. You believe that, you claim that, that is the box that you check whenever you ask. What really, if, if that is true, then live a life that is worthy. Paul says, because if you just claim Jesus, but you keep living like the world, you keep living like everybody else, you keep living as though death is the end, so you've got to get all that you can out of this life, man, that's insulting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's a distortion of what it actually is, right? You live that way, you're saying, I believe God can help me get more of my own agenda and what I want out of this life, so I'm going to do good and try to be good and come to church so that I can put God in my debt so that he'll give me A, B, C, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Well, Paul's saying, listen, when we receive the gospel, we understand that it's about Jesus. It's always about, like, all that I am, all that I can be, all that my time can be spent, it's about Jesus, so we live our life accordingly, and we live our life free of the fear of death. Paul tells him like, that you actually won't be afraid as you stand against your opponents, as you see people, as you get persecuted, whatever you come, you won't be afraid of a diagnosis. You won't be afraid of the phone. Does that mean you're not going to feel it? You're not going to mourn it? No. Listen, don't hear me wrong. I don't want I don't, I don't to leave my family early. I don't want my family to leave me early. What he's saying is you need to act like, live like, and mourn like what Jesus has done is actually true. And what he promises us is actually true. And if it is, it's going to change how we live here on this earth. If he says in Romans chapter 8, what should I fear? What should I fear? Like, what can separate? From the love of Jesus. Like, the answer is nothing. You don't think that changes how we live here on earth? Like, what shall I fear? This is why Paul is so maddening to the people that are trying to stop him. Like, whatever they do to him, he goes, that's cool. 
Put me in jail, I'll convert your jailers. You're going to kill me? That's great. I get to meet Jesus. You're going to turn me loose? Great. I'm going to go plant more churches. Like They can't do anything with him because he has no fears. He has been rescued from his fear by Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the potential danger in reading a passage like this. We think, oh man, it's really inspiring. If I could only be just a little bit like Paul, right? Like, and, and we write this off as not an actual way to live ourselves, but as, you know, we see Paul as some sort of super Christian and, and that we can never live up to. Right? That's, that's a danger when we read this. But while it's true that Paul did some amazing things for the Lord, it's not because Paul himself was amazing. It's because, it's because of Jesus and what he has done. And we're going to look at that portion, what Jesus has done. We're going to look at that in depth next week. But ultimately, man, it's the point of every sermon that we have here. Like, it is the only message that we have. And we're going to declare it on repeat here at the journey. Like, it is it's all about Jesus. It's all about his gospel. We have hope in this life and in the midst of suffering and hope beyond this life, not because we figured it out. Right? Not because we've stumbled on the secrets to, to living life and discovering God's path to heaven, but by, or by doing all of the right things. We have hope in this life because of Jesus. Because He, the, the creator of life, the one that was there in the beginning, the one who designed these good gifts that we enjoy, the pleasures, the, the family, the bond, all of those things, He gifted them to us. And, and He Himself steps into the mess that we made, into the brokenness, into the death that we brought into this world and ourselves. And he faced our greatest enemy, death. He stepped up to, to, to the great foe of mankind, the one who has won every battle in, in, throughout history, right? Ten out of ten die. Like, it is the ultimate statistic. We cannot escape it. It is an absolute. In spite of our efforts and people trying to gain immortality, like, no one has been able to overcome death until Jesus. Until Jesus. It's not just a story we tell on Easter, on Easter but the, the story of, of Jesus, the sad and dark day when our Jesus went to the cross and, and gave up his last breath. When he, it doesn't end there. The story of Jesus on the cross and being laid in that grave, it's not the end because in three days that grave was empty. Jesus was alive and, and victory had been won. Jesus Drank in death. He faced down our great enemy. He says, I will fight. Much like David comes in and sees the Israelites standing and looking at Goliath. And they're all shaking and shivering because they know nobody can win that battle. David says, well, I can because God will help me. And he goes and faces it and he conquers the battle. He conquers the great enemy for his people. And they all rejoice. Listen, Jesus comes in and he sees his people standing in fear of death. Standing and, and, and trying to get something out of this life before they before death comes for them, right? Trying to get some meaning, trying to get some hope, trying to get fulfillment out of this life. He sees us all shaking and staring at death. He knows we can do nothing about it. And he comes, he steps off his throne and he enters into our mess. He says, I got you. I got you. I'll fight him. I can handle it. And Jesus drinks in death, in death to its full. And he comes out victorious. Our God has robbed the grave. He, he stole the keys from the grave. He comes out victorious, and he doesn't just sit on his throne and say, look at me, I did it. He, he says, listen, now you come and follow me, and I'll give it to you. I'll give you the same victory. To anyone who would stop being their own Lord and Savior and throw themselves upon his grace and mercy, who claim his victory as, as our only hope in this life and in the next, if we give him our lives to us, to them, he says, you will not experience death because I endured it for you. I 
did it in your place. You will pass from this life and into my presence. And it is this truth that allows him to say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It is that glorious truth that Jesus has done for us. It's not Paul's ability. It's not his effort. It's not, and it, therefore, it's not ours. It is what Jesus has done for us that we are able to say, I don't fear death. Because not only did my Savior endure it for me and remove the penalty from me, but he in all his glory awaits for me on the other side of it. Not only we don't fear death because we don't have to go to hell, but it's more than that. Because the culmination of all that we've longed for, all that we've loved and enjoyed, waits for us on the other side. And his name is Jesus. I don't have to fear that I've missed out or, or not done all that I'd hoped to do because in his presence there will be the fullest of joys that completes every longing that we've ever known. Paul says, because of this, let life bring what it may. Suffering, imprisonment, beating, bring what it may. He says, give me Jesus. Whether I'm living or dying, give me Jesus. So Paul says, because of that great truth, live lives worthy of the gospel. Meaning if we've truly been given this gift that we claim, then it should actually change how we live here in this life on this earth. To go on living exactly as we did before, but to claim that Christ has saved us is, is insulting and ultimately is probably evidence that we haven't truly experienced Jesus' salvation. Paul says the best is yet to come. Yeah, if I get to live... Awesome. I'm going to make much of Jesus. I'm going to enjoy what Jesus has given me. I'm going to drink in full of his pleasures and his blessings. He says, you know what? If I don't get to live, that's a win for me because I get to be with Jesus. And he says it is not just okay and it's not just all right. It's not just better. It's far better, Paul says. Listen, this is a truth we need to chew on and, and let's sink in. And it should cause us to worship. And then it should cause us to have joy, to have courage as we face whatever this world brings our way. It's not about being brave. It's not about getting it together. It's not about, you know, doing the right thing. And ha like, no, we just we look at Jesus. And we cling to that hope. That's why he's a refuge in our time of, of struggle. That's why we can just, like, curl up on the gospel and lay our head to rest and say, I, I don't know what this life brings. I don't know when I exit this thing, and I don't know what that holds for my family, but I know that it equals Jesus, and that's good. Heaven is not less than. It's greater than everything. Fill in the blank. And that is a truth that we should never get over. If you're here today, and you don't know that assurance, and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have that assurance. Again, it's not about you and if you can figure it out. We're not here because we figured it out. Like, we're here because Jesus said, come to me. You can't figure it out, and I know that, and I love you anyway. And I came, and I died, and I rose again, and I'm giving you that gift. I'm, I'm coming to rescue you. So if you're here today, the invitation is to trust Jesus as your Savior. How do you do that? He says, confess that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. Just acknowledge that. First of all, you can't do it on your own. And then confess that Jesus is that Savior. And he is that Savior because he was raised from the dead. He conquered death in the grave. The Bible says if you do that, 
you see Jesus for who he is and you, you trust him with your life, you stop being your own savior, you confess he's your Lord, he says you'll be saved. You will be saved. You can do that today. I'll be down here up in front of this front row. I'd love to, to walk you through praying that prayer, but you can do it right now. You don't have to wait on me. It's not, you don't need me. Like, you can do that right now in your seat. For the rest of us, man, let's rejoice. Let's sing like Jesus conquered the grave. Let's rejoice as though we have hope beyond the grave and that the best is yet to come. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we boast in you and we're not here trying to figure it out on our own and wondering if we could ever be good enough, live good enough. You've taken all of that away and you've given us hope and assurance through your work and what you've done. Be with us in this time of response, Lord. Help us to worship. Help our hearts to be caught up in this truth. And Lord, if there's those that that need to respond today and receive you as, as Savior, would you give them the faith and the courage to step forward and do that? We ask all these things, hope all these things in Jesus' name.